Father, we give you thanks this day for Peter, for all he is to you and all he is to us. And we thank you, Lord, for his wrestling and his work on this text. And we pray now, Lord, that you will anoint him by your spirit and help him speak the words of truth we need to hear today. And for all of us, Lord, prepare our hearts and minds to receive you afresh now. In your holy name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, the fear of the Lord that we're speaking about today is not the fear even mentioned uh, in that uh, passage there where you have to flee from the town where they're about to persecute you. In other words, fear is part of human life, and we have occasions when we fear. I recall a truck crushing me on the motorway, and uh, I found myself crying out to God. I hadn't even thought about praying, but I cried out a short prayer to God for safety as I thought that was going to be the end. There are moments when we are fearful. And if you're fearful this morning, you may have situations in your life that make you fearful, then come to God for prayer so that you understand that if God cares for sparrows, he cares for you. But the fear we're going to talk about today is the fear of the Lord. And we need to distinguish it from those natural fears that are part of our humanity that God put in us so that we respond to situations and could use our minds to think. So we're looking at the sevenfold gifts of the Spirit in Isaiah 11, verses 2 and 3. And the final verse has delight in the fear of the Lord. And that's what we're looking at today. I put here in the, my title as in church tradition, because we've got a slight problem this morning. And I smile because I like problems. There's our text, the sevenfold spirit. And if you add them up, there are six. And then his delight is in the fear of the Lord becomes our seventh. What's gone wrong? I'm going to invite Jean to preach what she preached two weeks ago because they're exactly the same, aren't they? Uh, and they are. In the Hebrew Bible, the same word is used in verse 2, the fear of the Lord. And in verse 3, the delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. No change of words. So that's why I think Jean should come and preach what she inspiringly preached last year. But she knows I'm not going to ask her to do that because it was, it was superb. And you need to listen to it if you can. Uh, on the web. What's gone on? Well, those who translated the Hebrew Bible into Greek before the time of Jesus, a group of 70 scribes, Hebrew rabbis, changed that word, fear the Lord, to piety or godliness, which is not irrelevant, but it was their choice to cross out what was there and put a different word because they thought, there's another fear of the Lord following on, so let's have a different one. And hence the church has decided that there are seven gifts of the Spirit. So which are we going to take? The seven or the six? Well, don't worry too much because there's a precedent here in using the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Somebody we trust implicitly who's very good at doing it, and that's St. Paul. 
And when St. Paul wants a text to be convenient for his argument, he'll use the Greek translation in preference to the Hebrew Bible uh, to make his point clearer. So it's all right to have seven. And it's nice to have seven. And probably the scribes who were 70 of them, get the point, like the idea God has seven days for the week and all that. There's a seven-branch candlestick in the temple. Let's have seven. So they put seven in, all right? So there we are. That's why we've got the church tradition has sevenfold gifts of the Spirit. And we'll, let's move on. Now, thinking about fear, um, the fear of the Lord, there's on the one hand... We don't need to be frightened of God at all. That's absolutely clear from our Matthew 10 reading that, you know, God cares for the sparrows. He cares for you. And with the hairs on your head being numbered, mine are constantly reducing, so he's keeping an up-to-date total. <laughs> God cares for you. You don't need to fr be f afraid. And the psalm says, The Lord is my helper. He's alongside me. Why can I say he's alongside me? Because the same word helper is used in Genesis chapter 2 when God says it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll give him a helper. Many people think the helper is the one who does the dishes. But helper is God in the Psalms. And in Genesis 2, helper is the woman. Eye to eye, equal, alongside, same as you, able to relate to you closely. God is my helper. So you need not be afraid of God. That's true in Scripture. And Jesus said, you can call God Abba, Father, Dad. And it is a familiar phrase. And we can come into his presence without fear. That's on the one hand. But as so often in truths in the Bible, there's on the other hand, we need a holy fear of God. I remember I was 10. I can see myself at the dining room table. We still have that dining room table, Michelle and I. It's a massive round or almost round oak heavy table, dining table. And I had been, obviously, I have no recollection of my being very rude to my mother at the meal table. But suddenly, the table began to shake. And my father had grabbed the edge and was getting up. And I understood suddenly the fear of my father. You see, I was close to my dad. My dad was very loving. But at that moment, I had stepped too far. And in defense of my mother, and in my appalling behavior, and it must have been appalling, I was escorted brusquely and firmly by the arm to my bedroom and left there. The fear of God. We need to have a holy fear of God. And there are many scriptures. We often don't see them there because we emphasize so often, you know, our nice pally God and friend Jesus. I'm just going to look at three. There are so many we could spend hours and hours on here. But let's look at the first one. Matthew 10, which we've had read to us. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You have to recognize in circumstances who is more important in that situation. 
And so Jesus is saying, don't be afraid, but also be afraid in the same sentence. And that's a typical situation in our biblical theology, is on the one hand and on the other hand. And you need to keep both. You can't put them together. You can't say, well, there's an average of being slightly fearful and not slightly fearful. Both are true. Don't be afraid. Verse 31, you're of many value, more value than many sparrows. But do be afraid. Have a holy fear of God. And he goes on to teach us in this passage, don't be afraid. You're of many value than sparrows. I've mentioned that. But he goes on to say, everyone, therefore, verse 32, who acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. There is an accountability, says God. And in the whole passage in chapter 10 of Matthew is talking about how to handle persecution. And it's a fearful thing when you get persecuted. It hurts, and if you're going to be killed, as many are, Christians are killed for their faith. It's a fearful moment. But you'd rather fear him who can rescue you is the implication. Knowing this text, many Christians down the centuries and an awful lot more in the 20th and now 21st century are dying for their faith, having to make that choice. Do I fear God or do I fear the persecutor? Sorry, I thought I had another text there. The uh, Matthew passage goes on to talk about uh, <coughs> one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. These are contrasts that Jesus is trying to bring out. And in our Isaiah text, we have the fear of the Lord is part of a gifting by the Spirit. So let it be part of your life. There'll be choices you have to make. And there are hard choices. I remember in my first incumbency, wrestling with the issue of some members of the congregation said, my spouse is not a Christian, and they're very annoyed that I come to church on Sunday, so I'll only come about once a month. I understood that. And I made no judgment for them. I didn't say, well, you must come every week. But my point is there are some choices to be made in life, and it can be difficult, and we have to steer our way through more of that a little bit later. But then Jesus goes on to say, and whoever, verse 38 of our Matthew 10 reading, whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And people often talk about, you know, I've got an ailment, therefore I'm carrying my cross. I know it's a phrase we use, and in the English language it's been used frequently in the past. That's my cross that I have to bear. No, look, don't over-spiritualize the word cross. Jesus is very clear. The cross in his day was well known. The Romans were executing people constantly. It's grim. It's awful. So the word cross means execution instrument. And if you're prepared to take up the execution instrument and follow me, in other words, to face death and follow me rather than give in and deny me, 
That's the context of taking up your cross. So here's his promise at the end in verse 39 of that same passage, which we haven't had read because I didn't want it too long. Those who find their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. There's another example of biblical theology on the one hand and on the other hand. Text number two, which you've already seen briefly. 2 Corinthians 5, 10 to 11. For the sake of the recording, let me read it out. For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may receive recompense for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, here we have it, we try to persuade others, but we ourselves are well known to God. And I hope that we are also well known to your consciences. Here's Paul speaking about fear again, fearing God rather than those situations we face. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So this leads to the fact that we're accountable to God for our actions. Christians are often too worried about uh, minor things when God says, how have you treated your neighbor? How have you done your business arrangements? How have you worked with your colleagues at work? It's the relational stuff that bothers him most. And that's what destroys society and communities. And churches have unpleasant behavior within them. Uh, I'm not saying I know of anything here, but my point is it's often the case that churches end up with real sadnesses within the community because of the way they treat each other. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. But the context that Paul is giving this fairly firm thing about knowing the fear of the Lord, our topic again for today, is again about persecutions and struggles. Paul writes earlier before that text, we don't lose heart even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Paul is saying, look, God has revealed, and this is part of the gift of the Spirit, we've been told what is yet to be. And so the fear we might have that deflects us from following God and giving in to persecution says, no, see what's beyond. And that's what Paul's telling us. Paul says in verse 1 of this chapter that's just up there on the screen, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in heaven. So one of the gifts of the Spirit was knowledge, wasn't it? We know things that we've not yet seen. And so this gives us hope to hold on and have a holy fear of God. So a reminder here in Paul's scripture that our actions do count and they're listed. Great, we can come to confession. As Adele clearly pointed out, in the confessional prayer that was chosen for today, there are actions with a predominant thing. And so here we have it. We're accountable. You know, in our society today, accountability has gone very low in society. These aren't very new stories, but uh, Activia yogurt. They touted that the yogurt was clinically, in quotes, and scientifically, in quotes, proven to have certain health benefits, which was not true. 
This led to a class action costing Activia $45 million. Somebody eventually said, you're accountable, you're lying. One I use regularly here, Definitive, Definity ice, eye, ice cream, Eye Cream. All right? Definity Eye Cream lost precious advertising space by falsely advertising former twi model Twiggy, this is dated this one, isn't it, as looking much younger after 62 weeks of using this product. Turns out they just doctored the photos. <laughs> Accountability. It has consequences, and the banking industry has experienced that. They're just some examples of where people cheat and think they can get away with it. We can't with God, knowing the fear of the Lord. Back to our Isaiah 11 text. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and might, of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Accountability. Accountability. It's God that's revealed to us these hidden, hidden secrets of the kingdom. And the call is to follow in his footsteps and show these fruits as Jesus did. Because the prophecy in Isaiah 11 is about the Messiah, clearly. And we're to be like him and to follow in his footsteps. Therefore, we're called by Scripture to take on board this knowledge and live by the commandments and instructions God gives us both in the Old and the New Testaments. The fear of the Lord reminds us that we're accountable. And he provides wisdom, counsel, might. Might means courage to do those things. And sometimes it'll need courage. It takes courage to be a whistleblower in industry. And look at the Trump whistleblowers fearing because of Trump's continued bad behavior towards them. We should honor and protect those who are whistleblowers. What does God say? Micah 6.8 is one of those things that should ring in our ears. God has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness. That's a lovely one, that, being kind to people. And to walk humbly with your God. It sounds quite simple, doesn't it? The fear of the Lord and following in his footsteps. Walking the walk with God at work in us, giving us that wisdom, that knowledge, and that godliness. My third text to pick up is Philippians 2, verse 12 to 13. Therefore, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your old salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who's at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. Work out your own salvation. It's interesting, isn't it? I remember when I was younger in the, the, the church I attended, a Baptist church where I was a, a deacon before I was ordained Anglican, but that's another story. Um, the pastor would regularly preach that we've got to be very careful of works righteousness. In other words, you do good in order to get into God's favor. And he so emphasized this that mistook this text and didn't like it because it suggests you've got to get yourself saved by your good works. When Paul's saying work out your own salvation, he's not saying do it by good works. He's saying think. There are situations in life and you need to adapt to them and how are you going to respond to them. 
So let's take a modern example. And uh, I mean, uh, to think that we've had to encourage Christians to have a policy about how to use the internet, Twitter, Facebook, and emails to speak kindly to people. Because it's so easy at that when you're angry with politicians or angry with people to write vile stuff and send it out to the world. But knowing the fear of the Lord, work out your own salvation. What does it mean to be a Christian in the internet world? If I need to be kind, then I need to be kind in what I type even when I'm in a fury. In the old days, because things took longer, you didn't post the letter till the next morning, the angry letter. And often you tore up the angry letter because the next morning you realize, I can't say that to that person. I must be more gracious. But with the instant send, poof, it's gone and no return. Work out your own salvation. Think through what the commandments are saying. With fear and trembling, yes, because you're accountable. So that's what Paul is encouraging us to do. Put into practice the salvation that God's given you. He's forgiven you, but now you can respond. In the context, again, of this verse, Paul is saying, prior to this, the, the, the verse on the screen, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Work out your own salvation, Paul is saying. I'm working it out. And I'm telling you how the church should be with itself. That each of you look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Paul is working out his salvation. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. In other words, imitate the Savior that you follow. And then he goes on to say in that famous passage, he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being in human likeness, he was found in human form and humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then he finishes with, therefore God has highly exalted him and given the name above every name. And we'll be in the same situation, that if we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, sharing with one another, I need to be accountable to God, and therefore, how am I going to be acting in these situations? So, we come on to a word that I find interesting here, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. If you look at the sequence of events in that, those verses, the Spirit is mentioned in each line, but not in this one. And this is why you might have an argument there are only six gifts mentioned here, because the seventh one, the fear of the Lord, is his delight will be. In other words, it's our response. The Spirit isn't attached to this last one. It's our delight is attached. And that's our response. Do you delight in doing what God wills you to do? So delight implies that we're full of thanks for his equipping us. Our delight is too that when we confess, as we did earlier on, and it's important, you know, to have, uh, we, we, we do confession at services regularly and in our morning prayers, if you take, for example, the morning prayer liturgy, if you were to do it, there's a confession there each day. It's not to say, I'm a miserable sinner, how awful I am. It's actually to give us that opportunity to say, I'm accountable. 
Are there things in my life? And you thank God for his forgiveness so that you can start afresh. And that's the joy. I love the fact that C.S. Lewis, in one of his books, I can't remember the title because my memory does this to me regularly, uh, in talking particularly about sexual sin, says, you know, if you find yourself constantly failing God in one area of your life, look to the fact that God says, I love it when you yet again come back to me because you love me and want to honor me and you're fearful of the consequences of your behaviors or your thoughts. Coming back to God and again and again, that's a delight too. Delighting in God and delighting in the fact that he does call you his child, your son, my son, my daughter. Delight also implies because he loves us so much, we delight to please him and our whole lives honoring him. I don't feel aggrieved that my father took action that day when I was, obviously I had gone, I, must, I have no idea what I'd done or said. Uh, all I knew was wrath was impending. But I love my father for that. Because had he not checked me on that, I might have gone on being despicable towards my mother many, many more times. God's comforting words should move you to delight in him. Isaiah 43. Thus says the Lord who created you, do not fear, on the one hand and on the other hand, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, because you're precious in my sight, honored, and I love you. Do you receive that word? You don't need to fear the Lord in that sense. But you need to have a delight in the fear of the Lord so that you receive his kindness, his forgiveness, his mercy. You know, when you pass through the waters, well, when you go through the fire, I'm afraid you will be burnt. There's only one exception to that, and that's the three men in the fiery furnace in Daniel. The point is, this life is part of the big story. There's more to come. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. Jeremiah, if you read the long prophecy of Jeremiah, you'll realize how much he suffered because there's quite a bit of narrative history in there about him. Thrown into a pit and left there to die, messed about by the king, treated badly, imprisoned unfairly. And he writes his lamentations and Christians need sometimes to be full of tears for what's going on in the world or in their own life. He's walled me about, says Jeremiah, the chapter 3 of Lamentations. I cannot escape. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He's blocked my ways with hewn stones and made my paths crooked. He's being very real with God and himself. But just a few verses later, with this knowledge of God that's been revealed... The thought of my affliction and my homelessness is wormwood and gall. My soul continually thinks of it, and I'm bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, 
Work out your own salvation. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will hope in him. For Jeremiah, it was a discipline. Elie Wiesel tells the stories of the Jews in Auschwitz. As you heard a few weeks ago when Michelle was sharing about the Feast of Tabernacles, that the three main festivals in the Bible, you, the Lord says, you shall rejoice. And so a number of God-fearing Jews in Auschwitz would dance in secret behind the huts on those days to honor God with rejoicing. So in our text today, we have fear. Which is a respect for God, accountability to him for our actions, and the spirit-enabling gifts, wisdom, etc., that'll help us to fulfill it. We can delight in honoring him. And Jesus, we read in Hebrews, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, ignoring the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. We can delight in that fear of the Lord and be like Jesus.